listening to First Church Charlotte. We are in Mark chapter number uh, chapter number 9, I should say, and we are finishing up the ninth chapter. If you'd like to stand with me. Uh, this is a, a fairly long passage that we are going to be referring to tonight, so let's do this. Let's just read the first um, verses, and then I'll let you sit down, and we'll move through it uh, in sequence and seek to learn from it. How many, how many of you love the Word of the Lord? I love the Word of the Lord. I love the Word of the Lord. Let me tell you my favorite thing about the Word of the Lord. Whatever you think you know about it, there's more. I love that. I, I think I will get, I will get like vain. Like I know this, I know what's going on here. And then I get to look at, and I get to study and then I get to research it. And I didn't know anything. So, uh, I love that about that. Mark nine, verse number 38. Now, John answered him, answering Jesus saying, teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he doesn't have the patent pending on doing that. We forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, do not forbid him for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For he who is not against us is on our side. Uh, so I'm going to talk about um, five principles. And that's my really interesting, cool topic, five principles. And if you will take this journey with me, I promise you it will hopefully uh, be a fascinating journey. And I will get you out of here in fine order. Somebody say, Lord, help the preacher. I will take all that help from the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, we are dealing with here in chapter number nine uh, some basic principles that are fundamental to what it means to be Jesus followers. Uh, if you will remember um, that this all started really uh, this this context started with Jesus coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration and they come back down to the real world with troubles and problems and difficult demons and the like. And you you you've traveled through most of you've traveled through this story with me. Um, and Jesus begins to remind the disciples of what it's going to mean to be a Jesus follower. He reminds them of Calvary. He reminds them of sacrifice. Uh, they, they are now believing. Now, when this first came up, this idea of Calvary and Jesus dying, they had some trouble. Uh, they were like, no, don't even talk about that. We, we know what's best. We just ask us. We know what's best. See, it's not just us. The disciples had that idea too. And so uh, we, uh, we, we don't want to have this sacrifice thing in the middle of this newly forming faith. Jesus rebukes them of that. Now, the second time he mentions it, they don't rebuke him, and they basically receive it. And they, they, they take a now what attitude. Okay, all right, so Christ is going to die. Now what? That leads them to this conversation of who's going to be in charge. Well, this becomes a teaching moment for, for Jesus to them, and he teaches them this. The idea, the, the, the point, the, the essential uh, truth is that, look, in God's kingdom, it's not about the org chart. In God's kingdom, it's not about the hierarchy. In fact, in this kingdom, the way to be uh, most effective and most important is to be the servant of all. And what Jesus is doing to his disciples, teaching them about sacrifice, 
teaching them about humility and getting them past this idea of competition for status, religious status. Um, let's, let's be honest that there can be a lot of um, desire in our hearts at times for status that is of some sort in a church or of a religious nature. And this, although is very human, this is not the Jesus path. Okay? You see how I said that in a kind way? It's very human for us to think about, you know, who's, who's going to lead, who's going to... That's human. Let's not pretend that that's the devil because then we don't have to look in the mirror. Let's, let's be honest. It's very human for us to compare with one another and, and why does good stuff always happen for so-and-so and why am I always, you know, in trouble and Megan's never asked me to sing a solo and you get the... You, you see where I'm going here. Um, that's, that, that's very human. It's very, very human. But Jesus wants us to be reminded that's not the way. That is not the path. On the other hand, servanthood is the path. And so he is introducing to them these core principles, uh, these core ideas that is uh, going to really form the culture of what it means to be Jesus' disciples. Now this, this matters because people get culture when they don't understand theology. People may not understand your theology, but they will get your attitude. They will get your culture. They may not understand what you mean by some esoteric religious term, but they will know the spirit in which you said it. You guys with me? This is very, very important. Culture counts. Culture matters. Most, and surveys, I think I've shared this with you, the average evangelical, this is a very broad uh, society survey, cannot defend the doctrines of the church they go to. But that does not stop them at all from adopting the culture or the attitude, be it good, be it bad, be it right, be it wrong, be it inclusive, be it exclusive. They have no problem adopting the culture of the church, and they don't even understand the theology. So that should that should let us see the importance of this kind of teaching. Now, these men Jesus is teaching, they're not scholars, they're not theologians. They are blue-collar workers. Jesus himself is a blue-collar worker. However, he can talk with the scholars or he can talk with the fishermen. Aren't you glad for that? And so he chooses with them not to try to prepare them for theological battle. He prepares them for the needs of humanity. I wish I could preach this all across the world right now. He does not prepare them for theological battle. He prepares them for the needs of people, real people, real problems. Uh, He prepares them for those kinds of needs. Now, I'm not wanting to suggest that it is not important for us to seek to know and to study and to learn and to be capable of defending our faith in an appropriate manner. Those are good things, okay? But I want you to see that is not what changes the hearts of humanity. Debate doesn't win. Even when it wins, it loses. Now, this isn't just my theory. This isn't just something I just popped out of the top of my head. It has been scientifically proven that if we are in a debate and I defeat you with facts, this is scientifically proven in social uh, studies, uh, if I defeat you with facts, you do not change your opinion and you do not adopt my view. You just look for new facts. This has been shown. This has been proven. It's hard to change the human heart. 
We are going to fail more than we succeed at changing the human heart. But God wants us to fail in a certain kind of way. Does that make sense? Even when they aren't converted, the manner in which we loved them is a testimony of itself. Even when we're never going to agree, the manner in which we embraced them, the manner in which we included them, the manner in which we did not presume ourselves to be better, but placed ourselves side by side to them as a common seeker for a city whose builder and maker was God is going to be part of our testimony. So even if you don't get all the theology, get the culture. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? And so um, here you see uh, after this issue of who's going to be the greatest, there are, uh, if I remember correctly, there are five, yes, five principles that are pushed together one right after another. Uh, We don't know everything that's happening. We actually don't know how long of a time this covered. We don't know if this was all said in one moment or if this happened like as they journeyed through a uh, uh, an area. I, If I had to guess, and this is totally a guess, so you should take it as a guess, I would say that this was more reflective of a time they all spent together. And when the disciples remembered back to it, they remembered these as some of the themes that Jesus said, because they are so compressed together, it's rare that you have a conversation that you jump from so many random subjects one right after another. It probably happened more over time, and it was remembered. And the first principle is is this principle. He who is not against us (laughs) is on our side. Now, okay, some of you are thinking, because you're contrarian sorts, and you really uh, have not uh, got yourself prayed through yet tonight, and so you're immediately thinking, oh, I've caught the Lord Jesus in a controversy. And you're so pleased with yourself because you've caught the Lord Jesus in a controversy, and that's really what you've been wanting to do all your life. And so now you've got him on the horns of a dilemma. Uh, And you remember, wasn't it somewhere that Jesus said the opposite of this? He said, if you're not against us, then you're for us. Isn't there somewhere in the Bible? I'm not a preacher like you, and I'm not a bishop like Bishop, but I, I think, you know, there's somewhere in the Bible where Jesus says the exact opposite thing. Ha! Got him! Yes, there is a place. But I want to show you as a, how am I doing on time? Yes, I can chase this rabbit. I want to show you how he is not contradicting himself. And I hope you never allow yourself to fall into that particular uh, snare again. Mark 9 and 40, we read it together. He who is not against us is for us. Matthew 12 and 30, he who is not with me is against me. I'm so confused. Um, Okay, when we read scripture, it is very, very important that we seek to understand the context. What are they talking about? Who is talking and to whom are they talking? This matters. If you don't seek to do this, a lot of sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ will cause more trouble and more confusion than if you had never heard them. I will read, we're going to read about here in the same chapter, one of these five principles uh, is this idea, verse number, uh, let's see, verse number 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you you to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Jesus says that. 
It's considered one of the hard sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you simply don't, if you're content to simplistically use the words of Jesus as a way to either formulize your devotion or manipulate others, you don't need anything else. You've got it right there. And you can get up in your you know, favorite platform on your favorite pulpit with your three or four people out there who will come listen to you. And now you get up there and you say, my God, tonight I've brought us machete. And tonight we're going to be honest. What hand do you smoke with, sir? What hand do you smoke with? It's going to be hard to smoke with nubs. Put them up here in Jesus' name. <laughs> shoplifters. All the shoplifters come down to the altar. Which is, your, which is your favorite snatch and grab side? Oh, I snatch with my right hand. Okay, put it up here in Jesus' name. You know what? There are people who have formulated spiritual confusion because they'll take a scripture like that and then they'll tough guy it. And they think that's the path. Because, and then they, def- they defend themselves by quoting Old Testament scriptures on zeal. Look, zeal is not a solution for ignorance. I don't have time to get off on this rabbit. But I'm telling you, zeal is not an excuse for ignorance. Okay? So, you, we, I want to point out something here. Yes, Jesus said it, but not one of his disciples had one hand. Oh, Confucius say, preach it very smart. (laughs) Not one of his disciples had one hand. Not one of his disciples cut their hands off. But he said it. Okay, so maybe there's more going on here than just a simplistic review and us trying to tough guy our way through it. So let's see here. Jesus says, whoever's not against us is for us. Who is not against me is, who is not with me is against me. Contradiction, yes. Okay, in the first place, Mark chapter number nine, who is he talking about? He's talking about people. They are people. Somebody say people. People. They are people. He's try, they are trying to use the name of Jesus to cast out demons. And apparently they are having some success, maybe not uh, complete success, but they're having some success. And Jesus says, let them work. He is talking very clearly about people. Now, in Matthew chapter number 12, he's not talking about people. He's talking about spirits. Let me read it for your listening pleasure. If Satan drives, this is Matthew 12. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or, again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. He's not talking about people trying to do good. He's talking about spirits. So this is a different circumstance when there is a spiritual contest that is happening. The spirit that is not with you is against you. What's the difference? People are often confused, but they many times mean well. We should not make enemies out of them. Do you see? Do you see the difference here? 
people oftentimes are, are, are enthusiastic and they're desirous to do good and they take off and they try something and they, that may, maybe they aren't the one to be casting out demons in Jesus' name, but it's as though Jesus has tolerance for people, but he does not have the same open-handed, open-armed approach to the same activity on a spiritual level. What would be the difference in people and spirits? Spirits do not work through faith. They know God is the creator. They know God is powerful. They know God is on his throne. There is no good will with the spirit. They are either of the kingdom of heaven or they are of the kingdom of hell. There is not this middle ground. There's no spiritual Switzerland. It is very much divided between obedience and rebellion. And in terms of the spirit, you should err on the side of having suspicion against the spirit that is trying to work against the kingdom of God. But when it comes to people, you should have a broad tolerance for all sorts of folly and error. And people who mean well but make messes of things. They're trying to do good, but they they tore the place up. And they meant well. And Jesus is like, look, he's not harming anything. Why does this matter? I'm going to tell you why it matters. The same measure of mercy we measure for others will be measured for us. And I have been the guy that didn't have a clue, but was trying as hard as I could. I've been that guy. Every mistake you can think of making, I've made it twice to make sure I didn't like it the first time. I have done dumb things. I look back to things I did on the evangelistic field, and it's just a miracle that they even let me preach another service. I was so zealous, and I was so hungry, and I was so desperate. I did ignorant stuff. If someone did it here, I'd call them out after the service. I'd sit down and say, look, now, brother, I know you mean well, but you're about ignorant. Don't ever do that in my congregation again. Go find an ignorant church and do ignorant things for the ignorant church, but here act like you have some sense. Fake it. I've made every mistake there is to make. And you know what? People, gave, they didn't give up on me. People had some patience for me. People, people worked with me. People, people, they, they. now do you see the distinction? If they're not against us, they're for us. They mean well. Churches should not be in the business of spiritual butchery. We do not make things pure by separating and dividing and running people off. We try to find the arenas on which we agree, the arenas on which we can respect one another, the arenas on which we can accommodate one another, and then we should show forth the love of God as true disciples because we have love one to another. So I spent too much time on that. I used up half my time on the first one. So I'm going to move in a brisk manner here. And uh, maybe you'll get lucky. Maybe you won't. We'll just see how it goes. So uh, that principle, the first principle that he gives to the disciples on these days is, um, look, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people trying to do a lot of things. Um, don't make enemies out of them. Just, just let them, uh, you know, let the tares grow up with the wheat. The reason why they call them tares is if you try to, separate them, you tear up the wheat. <laughs> so just let them grow. We'll figure it out. 
we'll figure it out later. And so it is that this is true. The second principle is this here in verse number, verse number 41. Uh, let's see. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This is a principle. It stands, it stands as it, as it were, kind of like a, a pillar in the middle of a plane, and it stands. It stands. It catches your eye. It catches your attention. Um, he says it right after he talks about people who are trying to do good, but they're kind of ignorant, and they're kind of making mistakes, and they don't really know what they're doing, but they're trying to do good. And he says, they're not against us, so they're for us, people, not spirits. Spirits know. Spirits need no faith. Spirits see. And so for the only choice for the spirit realm is obedience or submission. That's it. Obedience, excuse me, obedience or rebellion. That's all there is in the spirit realm. But when it comes to people, we need to have a lot of tolerance with people's ignorance and error. And, and even if they do something so simple as give a cup of cold water in there in Jesus's name, if they do it because it's Jesus and it's the work of the kingdom, God's going to reward them. Do you see that beautiful tie-in of principle? And so that's why, that's why you should not, you know what, you should pray that whenever you see other people's um, error, mistake, shall I say ignorance, whenever you see it, it doesn't make you secretly happy and pleased, but you're sad for them. And, and you want to you wanna kind of protect them from their own, their own error, so to speak. You're, you're not happy about it. It's not gossip material for you. Uh, because you see that they're not against us. They're, they're trying, they're making mistakes, but they're, they're, they're not against us. And so we will have talent. Whatever good they do will not go unrewarded in the kingdom of God. So that's the second principle. Even a cup of cold water given will not, not go unrewarded. And here's number three. They are all a chain of Christian culture, how we are supposed to carry ourselves and how we're supposed to interact with others. Here's the third one. Take care not to offend a little one. This is the third principle. And the idea, the idea is it would be better for you to, you know, go tie a millstone around your neck and jump in the sea than to offend a little one. Okay, so what's point number one? Look, they don't really know what they're doing, but they're not our enemy. Don't make enemies out of them. Point number two, whatever they do good, whatever they do good, I mean, it, it may be as awkward and silly as you could ever imagine. It's not going to go unrewarded. And in the meantime, you should worry more about offending a little one than you should worry about going around and being the church police. Do you see? It's all tied together. It's all tied together. It is a way of being. It is an ontology of the Christian, a way of being. It is how we are supposed to think and live and walk. I don't want to offend somebody. I, I don't want to worry. I, I, I don't want to look back and say, um, they, they might would have made it if it wasn't for my clumsiness. The, the most pain in ministry for me is, is when I feel like that I, brought, I, I, I was part of the formula that hurt somebody or I, I threw through an error or excess whatever I I somehow and there's always this part where you like if, if I could just have a do-over <laughs> you ever look at your life and you want a do-over <laughs> 
you know, can I try that again? Could I take two or take 200? Um, I, I think I could say it better. Because here's the principle. I should be, as a Jesus follower, as somebody who may not understand yet, speaking for them, yet the deep theological implications and soteriology of the cross. I may not understand all that yet, but in the meantime, don't offend little ones. People new in their faith, people growing, uh, young people, uh, 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 children. Um, we, we, we must take care. And I pray every time I have to um, work with a circumstance or a situation, um, I, I pray that I would keep this principle in my heart. Uh, because here's the thing. Um, this is just real quick. How am I doing on time? Okay, real quick. This is like uh, preacher, full disclosure, okay? There's a temptation as a preacher to soothe your established people and stress your new people. There's this temptation. Because the new people aren't the ones making ministries happen. They're not the ones, in a lot of cases, um, you know, really kind of the, the 20% that's making everything happen. That's your established people. And so um, there's this temptation as a pastor to think, well, I can't lose. Who, can who can I pick on? I can't lose Joel because he's core. And the new guy, Adam, just came in the church. He, he's, uh, and so there's this temptation as a pastor to soothe Joel. Oh, don't worry, Joel. He just, he just got carried away. Don't worry. If he, if he don't straighten up, he'll be gone. I'm telling as a pastor, it's a deep temptation to soothe the established person. And stress the new person. And if they can't handle the stress, we say, oh, well, they, didn't, they didn't have a teachable spirit. More, more people have been spiritually scalped on the back of they didn't have a teachable spirit than any other attitude that I've ever been exposed to. Um, and so, and so I, as a, and I, I'm just confessing, it is so tempting when somebody who's core, they're core, they lead ministries, they pay the bills, honey, we got bills, they got to be paid. When they're mad at something, uh, at somebody in the church, or they don't like something that's happening with somebody, and, and I have the choice between this established person and this young person. Everybody knows young people's trouble. Can I have an amen from the young people? When you were a young people, you had trouble too. You were trouble. You were. You were getting yourself organized. You did dumb stuff. I mean, I didn't, but you did. <laughs> you, you, you understand what I'm saying? And you, we get for, as preachers, we get forced. We're choosing between the new believer and the established person who's concerned about... Or the young person who they're trying to serve God, and it's not particularly easy at that stage of their life. I'm not saying it's ever just easy, but let me tell you, uh, however hard you think it is, it's twice as hard for them. <laughs> and uh, here, here, here we are. We stress them. I'll give you a perfect example, and I'm sorry if this offends any of you. Um, a lot of times we will design, in large meetings, we will design youth events to soothe the elders. And we'll put all the limitations on the youth. Some of that's good because we all know that youth can push stuff a little too far. You've been a youth, you know. And some of it is us soothing the strong and stressing the weak. 
And so we have a challenge. We have a challenge to, to get this principle Jesus is talking about basically right. None of us are going to get it perfectly right. We're not, none of us are going to get it perfectly right. But there's always this, this, this balancing, and God help us to put the heavy packs upon the strong, not the heavy packs upon the weak. Because all a heavy pack does to a weak person on a tough journey is kill them. That's all that's going to happen. It's not rocket science. You don't need a voice from heaven. You don't need 17 chapters of prophecy. You put a heavy pack on a weak person. It kills them. And then you say they don't have a teachable spirit. No. It's more complicated than that. And so, um, these are the principles Jesus talked about. Number three was this principle, don't cause little ones to stumble. Okay, then Jesus kind of flips to principle number four, which is not quite the same thing. I mean, we can work it around and try to apply it. And that's, I find personally, I find a lot of wealth scripturally in doing that, taking a principle and and looking at it as a standalone, looking at it through the perspective of this person or this need or this circumstance. I personally enjoy that. But to be honest, it's, it's kind of, this is kind of a tough one. We've gone from this care, uh, uh, not to make enemies of others. Just, just look, people mean well, but you know, let's not make enemies out of them. Whatever they're doing is going to be rewarded. It may not be what we're doing, but we should be cautious not to have that attitude because that's a really vain attitude and uh, who we think we are. And number three, let's not offend anybody weak and let's just ignore the guy over there trying to cast out demons in Jesus' name. All right, John? Thank you, John. Uh, And now, point number four. If your hand offend you, you ought to cut that sucker off. Talk about random award. Me and my son, we have the random award at our house. And um, we'll just be riding along, and he he will just pop up and say something like, "Um, do you know that there's a shark off of Greenland that can live 400 years old? I go, random award. (laughs) And so, that's what this seems like. It's like it's like random award. Okay, we were talking about others, and now we're talking about um, if our hand offend us. Let's read it. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Thank you very much. 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Huh? How am I going to throw him into the sea if my hand's cut off? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's better for you to enter into life maimed than, and than having two hands to go to hell. And the fire which shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. And if your foot calls you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter life footless or lame. Rather than having two feet, be cast into hell. The fire will never be quenched. The worm does not die. fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to sin, yes, yes, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of the God with one eye rather than two eyes cast into the hell where the worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. You're getting the idea. This seems like it's almost as though the three things that God has asked us through Jesus Christ to do, he knows is going to be very, very hard for us to do. And so he puts it in terms of eternity. He's just said, don't make enemies. There's no need. Okay, whatever they're doing is going to be good. God's going to reward it. Don't offend little ones. 
And if you have a problem with that, just cut your arm off. Thank you. That's my 30-minute warning. Uh, Do you see what I'm saying? It may not always be an easy human thing for us to live where we deeply, deeply value other people. And we choose to see the good in whatever sometimes pathetic or, dare I say, ignorant offering that they're trying to do for the Lord. It may not be easy for us. What's easy for us is to go around with a little bit of a superior attitude and kind of straighten this one out and straighten that one out and take joy in our ecclesiastical excellence. That's easy. That's called carnal. That's just as carnal as pornography, just as carnal as going clubbing, just as carnal as immorality. It's just as carnal. That superiority that people fall, it's just as carnal. Don't make enemies out of them. Try to see something good in whatever they're doing. God does. And don't offend weak people. They might be barely making it. Don't you be the one to offend it. Don't do it. And if that's hard for you, let's just cut an arm off and see how you work out. Do you see the harshness? Jesus is not playing. Why? He's running out of time. He's on his way to Jerusalem. These men need to get it. And when you're in a hurry, you speak differently. If your child is running toward a busy road, you do not speak softly to your child and say, Honey, honey, don't don't run out in front of that 18-wheeler. Oh, darling, just don't do it. No, you don't do it. You know what you do? Watch this. You go. Does that make sense? And thank God you have enough sense to know the difference between a time to speak easily and a time when you need to save somebody, fix something, make something happen, and you do it. You do it. That's what this feels like to me. Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to die. The kingdom of heaven is going to be built on what's going to happen at Calvary. This whole mercy thing is not going to happen us out here having a grand time eating and making, you know, fish sandwiches. And No, no, it's going to happen through Calvary. There will be a covering. And I need you guys to get some things. I've given you three things. If that's hard, let's put it in terms of harsh realities. Which leads him to the last principle, which is this. We are seasoned with fire. He's just said it'd be better to be maimed than go lose your soul. And then he says we are seasoned in fire. Verse number 49. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. It all fits. It all fits together. And so, um, to my way of thinking, Jesus is giving us a way of being, a church style 
feel, a way of carrying ourselves in this world, a way of interacting with people who sometimes know less than us, sometimes know more than us. It's given us a way of being. It's an ontology. I know that's a, that's a way of, that's a study of being. That is, what kind of, it's like, like the philosopher said, you know, examine yourself. What kind of a being are you? Know yourself. The unlived life's not worth living, which I know you can have fun with that and say the, uh, he said the unexamined life is not worth living. We can say, well, the unlived life is not worth examining. But we miss the point. The point is, figure it out. Think about it. The Lord's calling us to a certain way of being. Um, patient with other people. Um, long-suffering. Uh, almost sounds like the Apostle Paul. <laughs> um, quick to see the good in other people. Uh, quick, quick, to, quick to take the weight off of some weak soul and put it on yourself. And so, uh, if we have a problem with that, then consider harsh remedies. <laughs> and uh, furthermore, let's think about the whole principle of trouble and seasoning and salt. And salt loses its savor. savor. What's going to salt with? What's going to be salt? Where's going to be the preservative? And finally, have peace with other people. I love this because so many people, if you miss everything else I said, so many other, so many people use the hard sayings of Jesus to justify a hard spirit and an angry attitude when the hard sayings of Jesus are actually not about how tough we can walk around pretending we can be, but the hard sayings of Jesus are directly related to our ability to see the best in other people and assume the good in other people and take some of their load for ourselves. And if we have a problem with that, consider harsh solutions on ourselves until we can be that way. turns everything upside down, doesn't it? The harsh sayings of Jesus are not about being harsh. They're about getting it right. Getting it right. Getting it right. So as a church, let's get it right. As individual style of, let's get it right. Let's stand together. Would you lift your hands all across the church house? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence that's here. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you for your blessing that's in this house. Lord, I want to thank you for all of these lovely people that are seeking to serve you. These, this beautiful congregation of people seeking to know you and walk with you. God, none of us, none of us are, uh, none of us have arrived and, and we all of us are seeking to get this right. And thank you for your words that if we apply them to our life, they will show us. They literally are the way of life. They are a path, a lighted pathway. Lord Jesus, guide us, direct us, help us, empower us. Lord, let us, let our light shine. In Jesus' name we pray. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So I just want to say I see the good in you guys. <laughs> I see the good in you guys. Um, um, I, I, I choose to see that you're, you're 
whatever you're doing, um, you're, you're, you're striving, you're trying. I choose to see the good in you. And uh, I'm thankful for that. And if I can help you, I want to help you. Uh, and um, I believe God's going to reward every single thing you do for the kingdom. Everything from as simple as a cup of water. I believe God's going to reward it. And if I can't do that, then the Lord needs to do some spiritual surgery on me till I get my attitude improved and I can see the good in you. I know there's more than just good in you. Yeah, I know. I know. Adam sits on the front row every service. I know about the problems out there. That was funny. I don't care what they say. They didn't laugh, but that was funny. So, you see the point? But, but, but beyond that, I am going to see the good in Jesus' name. Will you do it with me? Amen. God bless you all. We love you. Have a great week in Jesus' name. This Sunday, you're going to have a fine preacher here straightening you all out. And uh, y'all have some good church. God bless you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m and Bible Study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.